With that being said, why don't we go ahead and pray as we get into the word this morning. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you. And we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come to your house of prayer. As we get to the message for today, we invite your presence to continue to be manifested here, especially through your Holy Spirit as we open the scriptures, that we are able to understand clearly what it is that you've prepared. Anoint my lips that it is you speaking and not I. And thank you again. We look forward to opening the scriptures with your guidance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, for the last couple of weeks, you know, for months now, it's going to be a while. We're talking about all of the parables of Jesus. And last time I was here, we talked about two different parables, the parable of the lost sheep, and we also talked about the parable of the lost coin. The parable of the lost sheep was uh, representing the people who were out there lost outside of the church, outside of the home. And then the lost coin represented people who are in the house or in the church and lost in the church. They're lost and they don't even realize it. They're lost and they don't even know it. Today we're going to look at another parable that goes along the same lines of dealing with the lost and the found. And it is the parable of the prodigal son. This is a parable that many are familiar with. Usually is the most famous out of many of the parables. We kind of know this one. Wasn't too sure about the coin. Wasn't too sure about the sheep. But I definitely knew about the prodigal son. There's children's stories and there are um, movies about it. Well, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at the, the, the story of the prodigal son because here's whom the prodigal son represents. It doesn't represent the sheep who is out there lost and cannot find its way back unless a shepherd goes find it. It doesn't represent a lost coin in the church, in the house, lost, but it doesn't realize that it's lost because after all, he is home. But it represents people, God's children, who were once walking with God and decided to walk away from God. It represents a people who had it all, a people who, who lived with the Father. They had the things of the Father. Everything was accessible to them. And then they decided, you know what, I'm going to pack my bags and I want to go do something else instead. So we're going to pick up the parable in Luke chapter 15, beginning on verse 11. We should have it up on the screen. Awesome. Make sure you keep up with me, brother. Glad to have you up there, sir. Luke 15, beginning on verse 11, it says, Then he said, a certain man had two sons. A certain man had how many sons? Two sons, right? Number 12. And it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You know, I had no idea up until a couple of years ago when I heard the story about the prodigal son. I thought it was like that son that received mercy or love. But prodigal... It actually means like wasteful, it means neglectful, like a wild person, uh, liberal, not necessarily in the political way, don't, don't stone me now, but more like somebody who is like, you know what, sure, spend it all, whatever, it doesn't matter, and he's just like not even thinking about what he's going to eat tomorrow, and he's the kind of guy that only has a hundred bucks, but orders a $200 drink, like, 
what in the world? It's sort of like a careless, don't care type of style. And so he did that. This is the prodigal son. And, and so it wasn't until some years back that I fully understood that. But he's out there just completely the wild child. He cannot wait for his father to die and leaving his inheritance. And so he's saying, hey, dad, I got an amazing idea. I want you to now, you know when you get old, I'm supposed to get this stuff, my brother gets the other stuff, go ahead and give me my stuff like right now. Even though you're alive, even though I'm here, even though I have need of nothing, and you know, I struggle with this because I tell people, I know New Jer- uh, Florida starts a little bit early, but in New Jersey, 17 is the age that you start driving. And I remember 17 was like the best year of my life. You know, I was old enough to drive, but I wasn't an adult yet. No adult consequences, none of the responsibilities, none of the bills. I made pretty good money, and it's like, how foolish was I that couldn't wait to turn 18 to move out of the house? I love going back home to visit my mama, and she's one of those that doesn't let me, like, cook or clean or anything like that. She, she, she prepares everything, won't let me let you do dishes, so it's like, ah. Oh. Ah, oh, I miss mama, you know? And, and so, so I love the age of 17. It was an ideal age. You could sort of have the best of both worlds, a little bit of freedom, but none of the responsibilities that come with being an adult. But here you have this young man who didn't realize what he had, didn't realize how things were going well, where everything his father possessed was his, where everything was fine, plenty of servants, everything going around, but he still was looking for something else. The life that was presented before him was not sufficient. So he decided, I have an idea. I want you to give me the money. I'm going to go. And he went and wasted it all with prodigal living. And I'm reminded of Romans 1.22, and we'll have that on the screen, where it says, professing to be wise, they became wise. I do counseling, right? And one of the assignments that I love giving to people when I do counseling why don't you write a letter to your younger self? Maybe before the incident, maybe before the event, maybe for this stages of your life. And how would that feel? What would be the letter? What would be the words that you share? And it is interesting to see the things that they said. What would you say to your younger self? I know when I was 12 years old, I knew it all. When I was 15, I knew it all. When I was 18, I knew it all. I still think I know it all, and I'm sure someday I'm going to look back and say how foolish you were thinking that you knew it all. Boy, what I would tell my 15-year-old self, my 12-year-old self, my 18-year-old self, myself from last week when I went out with Patrick to do that 100-mile endurance race thinking that it was okay and everything was going to be fine. What will you say to your younger self? Here you have it, thinking you are wise, and yet you are a fool. But the story continues in chapter 15 of Luke, verse 14. It says, but when he has spent all, there arose severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed what? Do you know... What this is for a Jew, for a Jewish person, where swine is like evil. I mean, it's sort of it's kind of for Adventists too. But do you know what it is where you despise swine and now you find yourself looking out for the very thing that you despise because you were in need, you were in want. And so here he is, 
being in want and in need, and he finds himself feeding swine. From having servants to being a servant. Proverbs 5.22, it says, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sins. You know, I tell you about my cousin Chico the first time I got here um, about over three years ago now, and I share with you how he was 17 in seventh grade. We used to be the only ones parking in the, in the, in the in middle school in the faculty parking spot because the middle schoolers had no parking spaces, but we did. And so we drove to middle school. He was 17 in seventh grade. He was 18 in eighth grade. He had repeated seventh grade a few times when I got there, and then the year that I was there with him, he passed to eighth grade, fell eighth grade, and then he finally dropped out of school. But, you know, I share with you about my cousin because one of the things is that I learn a lot from him. And one of them is that I really don't like school. I hate school and it was boring and you have to get up a certain time and you have to do the stuff like papers and math and work and, and whatever. So I made it my goal to do as good as possible so I could get in and get out. That way, I didn't have to repeat it over and over because I'm telling him, like, dude, you know, you should have been already in college and you're still in middle school. You still got like four or five years to go. Why would you just do repeat the year over and over and over? So I made it a goal to just get in and get out and be done with it because why would I want to repeat that? And so him and a few other friends that, that I grew up with, I also watched them, you know, trying to not face their issues. There's a problem. There's a challenge. And so in order to face it head on, they decided to partake of illegal substances. And, and they decided to do that because while they were high or drunk, they forgot all about it. Even cigarettes, it calmed down my nerves. And I just feel a little bit better. Wait, I can't. I need, I need another one. And, and, and you know, they, they, they don't want to face reality. The problem is that when you sober up, when you come down from your high, the issues are still there. They have not gone away. So what do they do? They do more so that they can stay away from the reality a little bit longer and more and more. And then you catch them years later being dependent, being entrapped, being so ill. I don't know if you've ever run into someone who has been such a heavy alcoholic that if they stop drinking, they'll die. Where you're saying, wow, what in the world? And it is their own methods getting them entrapped into all of this. And so here you have, here you have in Proverbs that his own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He is caught in the course of his sins. And here you have the prodigal son who had it all. He was living fine. He had servants. He left it all, wasted all of his money, found himself dealing with swine and all of these other things, and being a servant instead of having servants. I mean, talking about completely flipping the script and, and where his life was, and yet he told his father, oh, I want to go do something different because what I have here is not enough. The story continues in verse 16 of Luke chapter 15. And it says, And he will gladly fill his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now understand, this is before the Food and Drug Administration was around, and this is before any kind of like checkups on how things were maintained. I, I, my grandma's house in Puerto Rico, they had swine. I see what they eat. I know what we used to do. And I'm saying, oh, wow, to be so desperate to want to eat all of that. There's like a bucket of slob that just gets filled 
And once it gets filled, then you go take it and you pour it in there. And, and it's, oh, you know. And, and so, I mean, just picture how far he had to go because he thought he knew better. And he thought that there was something better out there. Romans 1.28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. See, God gives you choice, and he's not going to force you and I. You think you know better than the creator? You think that you know better how your life is going to be? You think that you could find happiness in other things where he says, I know where your joy will be fooled. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. This is how you'll be happy. I created you. I'm giving you the word of God as the owner's manual, but you want to go outside of that? I'm going to go ahead and let you be. And let you have your debased thoughts. You want to put my knowledge away from you? Go right ahead. Good luck. But know that I'm doing this not in a sarcastic manner. Not in um, like the way my aunts and uncles used to do when they used to offer me food. And I would say, no, okay. They said, well, fine. Eat poop then. And that's what they would say to me in Spanish. And they use a whole other vulgar word. But, you know, that's what they would say to me. And then, no, no, God doesn't do that. It's more of a heartache where he's like, Okay, are you sure? It's not going to go very well. Okay, I'm here for you. But it's more of a loving, supplicative approach. But because he loves you, he will not force you. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. I can picture the thoughts. This is a scripture reading. Oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? Because this is where he was. He had gotten so bad. Imagine how hungry or desperate you got to be to eat the food of swine. So who knows how many days he had been sitting around before refrigeration or anything else. Jeremiah 17, beginning on verse 5. And it says the following, Thus says the Lord, Curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Verse 6, For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. I mean, can you picture the imagery here? Things are going to be great, but because you are turning from God, you are going to be the only dry person in the middle of a thunder thunderstorm. It is raining, and you're going to sit there dry because you're refusing to accept the goodness of God. You're going to be dried out and thirsty while everybody else is saying, why are you thirsty? This is like those folks who are out there who left the church who are now saying, you know, this church people, this and that, yet there's a joy that we have, and they're trying to fill that, that, that joy, with, that void that they have in her with something else, but the true joy only comes from the Lord. You're out there searching, and you're the only one that is joyless. When there's so much joy and love available in abundance to everyone and anyone. Christ's object lesson, and I have this on the screen. This is page 2001. I'm um, 201, sorry. It says, he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. That's a, a reference from Matthew 5, 45. But men have the power to shut themselves away from sunshine and shower. So while the sun of righteousness shines in the, and the showers of grace fall freely for all, we may, by separating ourselves from God, still inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. Can you picture that? 
I think of Hosea 6, 6. It's not on the screen. Don't put it up. Uh, well, I don't think you can, but it's not there. But where, where it says that Jesus, when he went back to his town, he could do only but a few miracles. He could do nothing except maybe heal one or two because of their lack of belief. Do you know how you could render the most powerful being in the world in existence powerless? By not choosing him, by putting him away, by hiding him, by turning away from him. And this is what happened with this prodigal son. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is a, a truth that, that he did not understand. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Why are you turning away from all of that? Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord has appeared of all to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, forever and ever, everlasting. It's not ending. I love you. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Why will you turn away from such love? Pick up the story on Luke 15. Verse 17, Luke 15, verse 17 says, when he came to himself, you know, he's, he's in there, it's sort of day style, completely out of it, eating all of these things and thinking to himself, oh my. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's higher servants have bread enough and to, enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. See, he didn't understand who his father was. He lived all that time with him, and he didn't realize the love that he has. It breaks my heart. I have seen many parents Doing the counseling piece, I have seen many, many, many parents and many children where, you know, some fathers, unfortunately, are not the way that God intended it to be. Some mothers are not either. It's even harder when it's a mother because we've grown to a society that we are used to having absent parents some way, somehow, because of war and battles or just because they weren't the greatest. But usually we can count on mom, but what we can't even count on mom, that hurts a child even more. It's a harder obstacle to overcome, and we've seen that. But we need to stop measuring God in human terms. We need to stop thinking about our Heavenly Father the, we, the way we see our earthly father we need to stop looking at god with our level or the lack thereof of forgiveness with his his grace really is sufficient he loves you he forgives you he literally died for you and me he literally died to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness there's no wickedness that you can do that he cannot cleanse you from and yet he had a misunderstanding of the father Psalm 103.13, it says the following, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Isaiah 44.22, it says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Do you see this text? By the way, if you were daydreaming up to now, wake up. And if you want to daydream afterwards, go right ahead. But this text is the one that you need to take away with you. Look what it says. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Now return to me. Why? Because I have already redeemed you. 
Do you understand that? You don't need to change your ways to come to the foot of the cross. You don't need to stop the bad things that you're doing to come to Jesus. You need to come to him and he will change it for you. He will create the transformation. He will give you the strength to do it because when I try to do the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And when I try to not do the things that I don't do, I do do them. And it all turns into a hot mess. And so understand that. This is how God works. And here in the church, we have this idea that you have to change to come to Jesus when he says, come as you are. Because after all, he is the author and the finisher of our what? And our faith. How can I repent without faith? Who am I repenting to if I don't know who he is or care for him? How can I see the evil of my ways unless I bestow my eyes upon Jesus? So therefore, understand that he's already died. He's already paid the debt. And all he is saying is, look, I've already done this. Your transgressions, everything, thick like a cloud. I've blotted them out. I forgave it all. Now return to me. For I have already redeemed you. Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. I have already redeemed you. Jeremiah 31, 34. It says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isaiah 55, 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, you have to understand the dynamics of how this works. You have to understand the dynamics of how this works. You're saying, Joe, well, you just read the previous text or two texts ago, and you said, he's already redeemed you, so return to me. But now it's saying here, forsake and forsake and forsake. Well, here's the problem. Some of us are so entangled looking at the mess that we're in that we're not looking to him. Some of us are so caught up in the things that we've created for ourselves that we are unable to fully embrace him and appreciate him. Look, I only got two hands. And if they're filled with this junk, then I cannot fill them with Jesus. If my eyes are checking out everybody in the church, whether you're looking sexy or whether you're dressing not like a Christian or whether how dare you wear that hat or that colorful suit or whatever the criticism or that jewelry. If I'm looking at everybody and not looking at Jesus, I can't look at him because I'm looking at this. Do you understand that the Greek word for sin is hamaltia? It literally translates to missing the mark. It's an expression used when you do archery and you have the bullseye. When you miss the bullseye, you sin. When you miss the bullseye, when you miss the mark, hamaltia. If you have your eyes on Jesus, how can you sin? It's like me cheating on my wife while she's right there watching. It's only when I'm sneaking around and I think I can get away with it. And when you take your eyes off of God into anything else, this is where you get yourself into trouble. So you must look at God. And if there's anything getting in the way, get rid of it. Jesus said himself, look, if it's your eyes causing you to sin, take it out. If it's your heart, cut it off. Now, did he mean literally? No, because all of us will be showing up to church maimed and one eye, or in my case, blind. Right? No, no, it's not. But the idea is, if there's anything, get rid of it. And if you are too weak, do like that father with Jesus. Lord, I believe, just help my unbelief. Come to Jesus. Come 
to him. Let's continue the story in Luke 15, verse 20. And it says, And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I mentioned this a couple of months ago, but can you picture the imagery of how wonderful this is? Okay, here you have the son is coming, and while he's still a great far way off, dad it must have been out there every day looking. When he saw him, he ran to him fell on his neck and kissed him. Could you picture that embrace? My child is here. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you see how the father had compassion, forgave him, ran to him, fell on his neck, embraced him, hugged him, kissed him, and then his son gave his apology? Do you see that? It wasn't that the son had the best apology in the world, a silver tongue or a golden tongue. No, no, no. The son didn't even get a chance to speak before the father already was looking for him, loved him, forgave him, hugged him, and kissed him. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. He was dead and now he is alive again. Don't you know that out of the house of God, you are dead? Yeah, but Joey, there's so many hypocrites there and so many people that talk bad and brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Mm, don't even get me started on that family. You know that family. Don't you understand something? In Noah's ark, Noah's ark, the Noah, the Noah built the ark. He follows God's blueprints, but it was built by imperfect people. I wonder how many times Noah hammered his finger and, and said, oh, Jesus, you know, and, and hurt himself and, and, and yelled at the kid for bringing the wrong nails. I needed the, the, the quarter inch and, and you brought me in the three quarter inches. And, you know, I mean, it was built by imperfect people, but it followed the blueprints of God and therefore it fulfilled its life-saving mission. The church is composed of imperfect people, starting with me. But it is part of God's salvific plan, and it will fulfill its salvific mission. Because the Bible says clearly that the church is the body with Christ being the head, and we are all part of the body. Some of us are pinkies, and some of us are toes, and some of us are eyes, and some of us are ears, but we all belong here, warts, acne, and all. We are part of the body. So yes, it's composed of imperfect sinners, but it is still part of God's salvific plan. After all, the devil is out there like a lion, sinking home to devour. And if you ever watch any Discovery Channel or, 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 or shows about nature with a cool British guy that says, here you see the gazelle. And that's my best British accent, and I won't go any further than that. But which one is the one that the lion gets? 
the one that is completely separated from the pack, the one that is behind, the one that is not together. And the devil would do that. Don't You don't need to go to church. Family so-and-so, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, back up still. Just stay home. You could have church in your own house. After all, if your body's a temple, Jesus can be with you. And that is a most dreadful lie to think that us on our own and our home is sufficient. Now, can we experience God in our house? Absolutely. But, you know, the idea of church is that we're supposed to be a body together. You know, uh, over a week and a half ago, Patrick and I set out to Vermont. We were doing the, the, the race. And, and let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you how it began to happen. I had a huge blister on my left foot. So swollen that I couldn't put my foot down all the way down. So after mile 50, maybe something like that, I'm going like this now because I'm stumping. I can't put my foot all the way down. But then my right knee started to hurt because this is three different mountains that we hit. And so steep uphill, but downhill, those of you who know squats, you know, you never let your knees pass your toes. You kind of bring this back like that. So going downhill, guess what happens? My knees pass my toe. And I'm doing this the whole way down, and now my knees started hurting. So on the last two miles of the 54-mile loop, now I'm going down with this one because now my knee hurts, leaving the ankle here, and then I slipped a little bit and twist this, and I found out I'm not bendy enough, and it was just really ugly, but my body, as I finished, compensated every time, first for this one, then for this one, then for the other one, and then I don't even know how I made it back to camp after twisting the ankle with a bad knee and blisters on the left toe, but you know, your body makes up for it. And so this time around, this leg was okay, so I worked my way into the tent and fixed myself up. In church, there's going to be days where I'm going to lift you up. But next week, I'm going to need you to lift me up. If it's every man for themselves, we're not going to survive. You know, we were there in the middle of the night, and uh, there's black bears and mooses. We're so close to, to, Patrick didn't tell me that. It wasn't in the brochure. But, you know, I have never prayed so much to God except during those seven hours of darkness. And then I heard, like, if you're loud, we're talking the whole way. And I just told Patrick, look, I just got to outrun you. And so, you know, and I'll pray for you. And I'll tell your wife you died bravely to save the minister, you know. But, uh, hey, God is not finished with me yet. And if Patrick, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But, but, but you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where your body compensates for that. The church is the body. And we are here to uplift one another. This week is my turn. Next week is your turn. But it is part of God's salvific plan. It is part of his plan. So here's a question for all of you. And, and perhaps someone specific here may not be necessary, all of you. But do you see the assurance of God in willing to accept and forgive you just as you are? You know, have you turned away from him trying to find something else? Have you thinking that, you know, I, I know I had it all here, but there's something better out there. And you turn away from him. And so, you know that voice that you have been hearing that says, hey, you need to let go of this, you need to let go of that, you need to repent, you need to come back. You need to listen to that quite, quite quickly and expediently because the time really is at hand. The time to be out and about, eating in the pigsties and taking care of swine, that's over. It is time for you to return. Micah chapter 2 verse 10. I want this verse to resonate with you. Micah chapter 2 verse 10. It says, arise and depart. For this is not your rest. Whether you are with the swine, whether you are at the clubs, whether you are in a bad situation within your home, whatever drugs or things you may be doing, whatever addictions you may have. 
This is not your rest because it is defiled and it shall destroy. Yes, with utter destruction. Isaiah 44, 22. I had to throw this one a second time because I want to make sure you had it. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me for I have redeemed you. John 6, 37. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will check him out. If they don't meet my standards, then I maybe will accept them or kick him out. What does it say? The one who comes to me, I will by no means, no means whatsoever cast out. So it is my prayer that you can make the prayer of David yours right here in Psalm 51, 7, where it says, 51, 7, it says, Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Zechariah 3, 4, and 5, it says the following, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Verse 5, And I said, Let them put on a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. By the way, we think that being all decked out is modern term. This is biblical. You know, here you have the groom all decked out, and he will make sure that the bride, you and I, are all decked out with the righteousness of God. We see that. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17, it says, Zephaniah 3.17. Are we there? No? Maybe? Yay. All right. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will what? Save. He will what? Rejoice with you, over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. So understand that no matter your filth, all he's going to do is rejoice when you return to him. Just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. He didn't even let him speak before he hugged him and kissed him. And then the son tried to speak out his apology. But the father was not even trying to hear it. He didn't even address it. He didn't answer. He said, son, what are you talking about? He's like, uh-huh. Hey, servants, do this, that, that, and that. He didn't even uh, entertain the idea that his son had brought before him. But the story is not over here. We'll pick it up back on verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. And it says the following. Now... Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Verse 26, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, this many years I have been serving you, I, and I never transgret your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Verse 30, but as soon as your son of yours came, 
He who has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatted calf, you kill the fatted calf for him. Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours, which is very true. Verse 32. It was right that he, we should make merry and be glad for your brother was what? And he is what? Again. And he was what? And he is what? Found. And so he had to remind his brother of that because notice something. The father was waiting for the son continually. He was there. He saw him afar off. The brother had already given up on the son, on his younger brother. He already had given up on him. He didn't care. And when he came back, instead of being happy, he was upset that the fatted calf was killed for him and that there was a party and that there was celebration. And so this is a very concerning thing because we have the father who is God. We have the prodigal son who could be you or I, but who in the world is the older brother? I pray that it is in you here in the Tallahassee First SDA Church. I pray that it is in you who is upset that a sinner is entering our doors. I pray that it is you that is an upset that somebody who was once here left and now is back. Why is it that we are rejoicing and celebrating? I've been here forever and you have not even given me a veggie link, let alone the fatted calf. I pray that it is in you because this is someone who instead of being happy that his brother was dead but now is alive, who was loved but now is found, he was upset that he never got to party with his friends. Not realizing that he owned it all to begin with. That everything was already his and it was already available. We have people in the church that unfortunately fall under that category and that's a challenge. Christ's object lesson, page 210. It says, self-righteousness not only leads men to misrepresent God, but makes them cold-hearted and critical towards their brethren. I have to tell you, just passing right there real quick, for you who find yourself having a critical heart towards your brethren, rather than a heart of love and compassion, if I see someone in the, heart, in the church messing up, being sinful, doing something out of place, and the first thought is not, oh, oh Father God, please be with him, versus, Mm, ooh, I can't wait to tell, or how dare he. That means you're not really grasping what God has done for you in your life. You're not seeing someone that is lost. You're seeing just someone who is fun to talk about or someone that you could put down to lift yourself up. And I got to tell you, if your first instinct is to point fingers, criticize, and spread the gossip over looking at them with compassion, where it's like, oh, oh, how can that be? I mean, if it's not that, then you got to check your heart because something ain't right. Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. The elder son in his selfishness and jealousy stood ready to watch his brother, to criticize every action, and to accuse him for the least deficiency. He would detect every mistake and make the most of every wrong act. Thus, he would seek to justify his own unforgiving spirit. Many today are doing the same thing. While the soul is making its very first struggles against the flood of temptations, they stand by stubborn, self-will, complaining, accusing. They may claim to be children of God, but they're acting out of the spirit of what? Come on now. By their attitude towards their brethren, these accusers place themselves where God cannot give them the light of his countenance. Come on now. 
You can't say amen, say ouch. Understand that a critical, a critical tongue, a sense of superiority is never the way. At any time, at any excuse. You know, I have people, <laughs> it cracks me up all of the time. Pastor, you know, I, I don't like to gossip, but do you hear that sister? So Whenever you preface anything with I don't like to do this or not to do this, you are about to do it. Look, not to be racist or anything, but, you know, <laughs> not, not, I don't mean no disrespect, but I don't like to gossip, but did you hear? You can't, you can't do that. Anything before the but is completely out the window. It means nothing. When you catch yourself doing these things, you got to check your heart. By the same token, if you are the prodigal son, going back to this, just come. Just come. I wonder how many of you ask yourselves this question. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, beginning on verse 6. By the way, verse 8, which we'll read in a little bit, is... It's, I would probably say it's, I can't say it's my favorite, but it's really close to being one of my favorite texts in Scripture. But Micah 6.6, 6, it says the following, With what shall I come before the Lord and buy myself, bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, calves a year old? Verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborns for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I mean, here you are asking, I left the church. I've been doing all of these things. My life has been horrible. I was a kid. I left when I was seven. I left when I was 10. I left when I was 18. Maybe I left when I was 40. Maybe you've been gone a year. Maybe you've been gone 60 years. And you're asking, how shall I come back? Do I bring brand offerings? Do I offer my firstborn? Here you go. Oh, Julian, you know, what do I do? Verse 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Amen. He has already shown you. This is said. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. You don't have to worry about bringing 10,000 rams or oils or your firstborn or your first fruits. Just come. Be humble and let him take care of you. Amen? Isaiah 58.6. Isaiah 58.6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To lose the bond of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your, house, uh, to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Again, this is all I'm asking. This is what I came to do. The Lord came to save sinners and yet we're out there beating them up and keeping them out. He came for them. Two weeks ago, we talked about how he's a lover of sinners. So if you left, come back. If you've been here, love him back. Christ's object lesson, page 210 continues. It says, when you see yourselves as sinners, saved only by the love of your heavenly Father, you will have tender pity for others who are suffering in sin. You will no longer meet misery and repentance with jealousy and censure. 
when the eyes of selfishness is melted from your hearts, you will be in sympathy with God and will share in his joy in saving, in the saving of the lost. Last text for today, find in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God because God is what? Because God is love. If you can narrow it down to anything, it is simply this. Parable of the lost sheep, those in the world. Lost coin, those lost even in the house of God. The prodigal son was here once, left, and it is time for you to come back. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, I come before you. Lord, this is a hard thing because... It is so easy to see someone in their failures and look down upon them. It is so easy to see someone hurt, someone sinning and say, ha, how dare he show up here like that? Oh, why is he showing his face after all of these years? But Lord, when we see people the way you see them, when we realize how much you loved us and the grace that you bestowed upon us, our lives will be completely transformed. I know from my own experience that I never, I, I didn't always walk in your ways. Even from time to time, I backslide a bit here and there. And yet your love and mercy is so amazing that you don't beat me up for it. You want me to do better. You give me the strength to do better. And I do have weaknesses, but you says, look, Joey, don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. And yet somehow I don't fully understand even the mercy and the forgiveness that you bestowed upon me where you don't even give me the punishments I deserve. But Lord, if I am like that older brother, help me, help us really understand what you've done for us so that when we see others in their failures, in their misery, in their sin, instead of judging them, belittling them, censuring them, putting them down, rejecting them, turning them away, casting them away, we look at them with tender hardness and love and say, oh, Father God, please have mercy on their souls. Father God, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Father God, please use me in a way, send someone my way that I can share a little bit of your light, your grace, and your mercy. And Father God, lastly, I want to pray for anyone that may be here right now who may have just been visiting for the first time or maybe it's just been a couple of times, who may have turned away from you, oh God, but find themselves here like the prodigal son returning, thinking they got to come in and just be a servant, not realizing that we are prince and princesses, not realizing that we are children of the king, not realizing the manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us, that all of us can be called children of God. So I ask, Father God, that you touch their hearts. I ask, Father God, that you move them. I ask, Father God, that you make them uncomfortable where they at right now so that they get up, so that they walk away because that is not their place of rest, but it is right back in your arms and in your hands. Lord, they want to. Give them the extra push. After all, you are the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. And it is by grace through faith that we have been saved and not of ourselves. For it is your gift, Father God. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Help us as part of your body. Be extensions of you in love and nothing else. Bless us and keep us. It's my prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let everyone here say amen.